Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's super special share. Me and Coach Menachem are here. I want to apologize for the last two weeks of not being here. I got a bunch of threatening texts that people were so upset at me, but I'm Michael, you, I get it. People were really upset that we were two weeks, there was no shear during Hanukkah. Me and Menachem had so much Hanukkah parties and so many latkes. We are good to go. We're fully charged. And I'm letting you know now, big stuff coming. Right, Menachem? Can't wait. Can't wait. Okay, so let's start with tonight's shear. Tonight, we have shear 82 with Coach Menachem Berenfeld and Let's Get Real program. And we have the schuss and honor of bringing Rabbi Schaefer back. He's also one of the, one of the original, you know, the one who put, put us out there and he came back with, a, he came back stronger than ever. We're going to get there in a minute. I want to first thank everybody for uh, the platform for every week for promoting it. Every week I get so many texts from everybody to join and people are posting it all on their WhatsApp statuses and sending it around. And Baruch Hashem, it's growing, growing all organically, and it's all together. It's a chaverim that's every week getting stronger and stronger. I want to thank you each and every week. And again, if anybody wants to get the flyers from the WhatsApp, just uh, WhatsApp me personally at 848-525-0066, 848-525-0066, and save the number. And every Sunday morning, I will send you the flyer. Please send it around. For all those that are watching the, re the, the replay of this on YouTube, click on the like button for Coach Menachem, and click on subscribe to his channel. And every week... Monday, usually about Monday morning, we upload the shear. You can watch it and send it around. So keep that in mind. Um, again, I want to I always start off every week with thanking all of our advertising sponsors that promote us all over. Lakewood Scoop here in Lakewood for promoting us here in Lakewood. That we really appreciate it. Uh, special thank you to Robbie and Nifu Chazak. Chazak for promoting on all the Chazak channels. Special thank you to Chayla Kaufman and Shmuel Summer from JCM, the Jewish Content Network, for always promoting us. And Baruch Hashem, they did a great job this week. It was all over the place. Rabbi Schaefer got serious coverage because we have a big, big share tonight. Uh, the Coach Menachem Show is collaborating with OK Clarity to bring greater health and wellness to the Jewish community around the globe. OK Clarity is the online platform for mental health support in the Jewish community. OKClarity.com, you can find the best therapists, coaches, nutritionists, engage in forums and stay inspired. Links will be found. Email to the show. I know they have the best coaches because Coach Menachem is there. So Zuka, they have the best coaches. I know that. And again, for all those that are watching, for all those that are watching tonight for the first time and just joined 82 weeks late, it's OK. Welcome. We're still going to be Makarov. You don't have to pay the membership to the 100 shares. So the first 100 share, if you come, it's free. And then afterwards, we're going to, you know, if you come after that, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to charge. I have no choice. So special thanks for all the people that are coming. Starting 9.30 every Zoom at 9.30 every Sunday night. And um, I'm going to make a, for right now the first announcement because nobody knows about this. Only Coach Menachem and I. Next week, we were supposed to have one person. It got shifted, pushed later. And we have an amazing share next week, Rabbi Schaefer. I want you to join Rabbi Shev. It's going to be unbelievable. We have Harav, Rabbi Yy Jacobson joining together with Rib Shimon Russell from Eretz Yisrael. So we have two superpowers coming, and they're talking about why so many teenagers are struggling in today's generation mm -hmm. and what we could do to actually help them. So it's going to be very halacha uh, la And um, I don't know. I'm telling you to come as early as possible because definitely we'll, we'll be sold out, and we'll try to stream it someplace so you can watch it. It's going to be an unbelievable event, so please come on early. It's in conjunction with Keshe Nafshi, that's an organization that's doing the Shabbaton, New Year's in uh, Connecticut. 
and um, it's going to be unbelievable. So please, please come. It's going to be next level. Um, again, tonight we have the honor of having the world famous Rebbe Tzian Schaefer from the Shmuz here with us for the second time. Rebbe Schaefer, Rebbe always says when he came back the second time, says, Once you say Yedus, you never come back again. But since you're so good, we want you back. You're amazing. Thank you for coming back. So we're going to start off first with opening statements. Menachem had over two weeks to prepare. Menachem, the pressure's on you. Go. Thank you. Thank you. I want to welcome everyone. Welcome everyone to episode number 82 on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem. And I want to thank you all. I know the last two weeks we didn't have a show, but uh, the feedback that I was getting was really unbelievable. The feedback, the support, which is really what gives us the, the physics to, to continue and to, to do this, Baruch Hashem. And it is an honor to have with us tonight, Rabbi Benzian Schaefer, to have him back, which honestly, personally, I grew up with the CDs, with uh, really um, being, uh, being coined a lot of information, just the, the, the clarity and, and the way you bring down the, the concepts, no matter what, what concept it is, to bring it down in a way that I could understand. And that clarity takes away everything. Everything falls away once you hear it and the way you bring it out, which is thinking back many, many years ago. Today, you probably get it more online, but I'm, I'm remembering the CDs, CDs when I grew up. <laughs> Tonight's title, the, uh, the title of the book, The 10 Dumb Mistakes That Smart People Make. So tonight's most people that came tonight are all smart people. And for some reason, smart people still make mistakes. They're trying to figure out there's some steer over here. If the, there's a contradiction, if the people are smart, so why are they making these dumb mistakes? If it would be a sophisticated mistake, I understand. But if it's a dumb mistake, there must be some gap over here in between. And I know Rabbi Schaefer deals with this day in and day out, and hopefully he'll be able to explain why it is that even the smart people, which when you talk to them, you even ask them, they'll tell you exactly what to do. But when it comes down to, to uh, living it, it's a big challenge and that's where the dumb mistakes happen. So tonight we'll be able to get the ideas and uh, I don't know if we'll be able to cover all the 10 concepts, but uh, for sure, if you have any questions, anything that's um, on your mind, not something, doesn't have to be something that's Nagaya that's happening now, but just an idea if you want to understand, you can ask why. In we should have a lot of Siat uh, and we should take out what we need in Mitzvashem. Beautiful opening. Okay, so let's get into it again. Um, tonight, sure, we're going to be learning Leil Nishmas, Aaron Noyach Fried, one of our co founders over here, and let's get real. He has the art site tonight for his father, Ebzev Shleima, Ben of Yosef. For all the hundreds of people that are here tonight, all the thousands of people that will hear the share. We love you. You're amazing. For making the share so powerful and so unbelievable. He's our secret weapon. And uh, don't tell anybody. Okay, tonight we're here to discuss Rabbi Schaefer's new book. Rabbi Schaefer, am I holding the book? Is this the book? You're holding the book. You're holding the pre-publication. The 10 really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make. And everybody gave me the comment today. There's only 10? So... <laughs> We're going to start with that. Let me tell you what, what the plan is tonight. Um, we got a lot of emails. Um, there's, there's, there is 10 basic this, and we try to put the emails fitting, correlating to the correct thing. So we're going to try to cover most of those things via the questions that we have already. 
Um, so tonight you're going to get a very sheer glimpse of the book. And the Metzshem, we should be able to really cover some ground. And Metzshem Rebbe Shefer will tell you about where to buy the book and to get all this free stuff and this freebies and everything. We'll get to that soon. Um, I'm going to read Rebbe, Rebbe Benzion Shefer's uh, bio and then Rebbe Shefer, the floor is yours, okay? Okay. Rebbe Benzion Shefer is the founder of Tferes B'nai Torah Yeshiva Program for Working People, TBT, and the Shmooz.com. Rebbe Shefer was a high school rabbi for more than 15 years when the Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshiva's Chavot Chaim, Rebbe Hena Chalibot, recommended that he undertake a very special project, creating an engaging learning program for working people. Following the Rosh Hashiva's instructions, Rabbi Schaefer founded TBT and the Shmooz in 2003. The impact of TBT and the Shmooz was felt immediately. So Rabbi Schaefer, Ashkeh for coming here. The floor is yours. Thank you. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. So let me begin with something Coach Menachem said. Why is it that if we're very smart couples, why are we still making dumb mistakes? So to me, you know, over the course of 10, 15 years, I've dealt with hundreds and hundreds of couples. And I found this time after time that the mistakes that we all make, and, and I'm not any, any different than anyone else, but we all make these mistakes. And as Coach Menachem pointed out, sometimes they're so obvious and so clear to everyone except the one making the mistake. And let me begin with the first biggest mistake, and it's the single most common one. Here it starts. I get the phone call. Rabbi Schaefer, yes, yes, yes. Um, thank you for taking the call. Rabbi, I, I greatly appreciate it. I, I have a problem with my husband. Well, what's the problem? Well, he's responsible. He's serious. He spends time with the kids. He learns. He's solid. I said, so far, it sounds pretty good. What's the problem? Well, the problem is I don't love him. I don't love him. I don't love him. Now, what do you do when you get the call? So I ask her, how long you married? 10 years? How many kids? Five kids? So what do you do when a woman calls up and says, my husband's put together, he's organized, he's responsible, he learns, he's from, everything's good, but I don't love him. So what I say is what I always say. I ask her the first question. Tell me, madam, last month, how many times did you and your husband go out? When I say go out, I don't mean go to your in-laws or go to a bar mitzvah or a wedding. How many times did you and your husband go out to just spend time together to connect, to bond? Now, I wait for the answer, but I know the answer. The answer is we didn't. And I'll say, okay, the month before that, how many times did you go out? The answer is we didn't. The month before that, the month before that, about eight or 10, I stopped. And then I'll say to a madam, don't you understand? The reason why you don't love your husband is because you guys are like two ships in a night. You're walking different paths. You're not connecting. And if you don't spend time with your husband, well, guess what? You're not going to be bonded. You're not going to be connected. And in a very short time, you're going to drift apart. Now, this is so obvious and so simple. And yet I have to fight with people on a regular basis. You have to go out as a couple. Now I recommend going out weekly, but surely on a regular basis, but it's not just going out on a date night. It's doing all the things that a couple in love is supposed to be doing. It means the gifts and the notes and the little trinkets, the things that again, a couple in love is supposed to be doing. Now some, somehow along the way, you know, Shana Rishon, everyone knows how to do that. But somehow after a kid or two, it becomes just forgotten and couples just begin drifting apart. And I think it's the simplest solution. It's, I, I cannot tell you how much pain it would avoid if you just work on your marriage. There are three parts to a marriage. There's commitment and there's the relationship and there's learning to live together. The easiest one to work on is the love in the marriage. The way you work on that is by doing the things that a couple in love do. You spend time together and you do things that you're supposed to do a big part of that is going out once a week. And when I say going out once a week, I mean leaving the house 
going out once a week. And I'd like to tell you the amount of pushback I get on that. When I tell couples to go out once a week, the amount of pushback I get, Rabbi, how can we do that? It's so expensive. My husband has a, a job and he's learning and how can we do that? And I have one simple answer to that question. It is very, very expensive to go out, but alimony and childcare is a lot more expensive. I know you're very, very busy, but running two households apart is a lot more difficult on time management. Now, I'm not telling you that if you don't go out once a week, you're going to be in serious trouble, but I am telling you that the single greatest investment you can make in your family's health, the single greatest investment you can make in your shalom bias is to spend time together. And a big part of that is going out once a week, spending time as a couple. And it's again, it's not just the once a week. It's also the mini vacations. It's also the notes and the gifts and everything that a couple in love should be doing. And Coach Menachem, with all the respect, this is probably the single, I don't know how to say this, the single really dumb mistake that very small couples make. They don't work on the marriage. They don't work on the love in the marriage. And it's so obvious, but yet somehow, unless you do it, it just doesn't happen. So that's my, that's my introduction. Work on that. And I can't tell you how much, how much easier life is and how much better things are. So that, I think, is the simplest solution, simplest thing to solve. And to me, that's one of the big, big, big yisodes. Hey, Rabbi Shefer, for that opening. Okay, so we're going to end the year now. We're going to go out, and then that's it. We're done. We're done. We're done. Wrap okay, up. we'll give you a break. Let's let's take a little poll to get everybody warmed up, and then we're going to really jump into it. There's a lot of questions that came in, and um, very tachlistic. So here we go. Okay, everybody, here we go. First question. If one thing could change and make your marriage better, what would it be? Would it be, A, me working on my issues? B, of course, my spouse fixing their issues. Or C, if I had unlimited money, that would fix all my issues. So choose one of those. Number two, we fight. If we fight from time to time, does that mean that we cannot have a good marriage? Yes, that you could have a good marriage. No, I can't have a good marriage. Or maybe, Rabbi Schaefer, please help me. When couples fight from time to time. Okay, ready? Five seconds. These are both very, 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 very tough questions. Okay. Five, four, three, two, five, four. <laughs> okay. Bushy, I want to jump. I want to first comment on the, the first question. I, oh, I like, like, let me share the polls because you saw it. Now let me share with everybody. And then and then let's comment on it. Okay. So that's okay, Rabbi Schaefer. Okay. Okay. Uh, if one thing could change and make your marriage better, what would it be? Seventy-two percent of the people say me working on my issues. Rabbi Schaefer, you see this? I see that. Yep. I see that. Me, my spouse fixing their issues. Ten percent if I had unlimited money. I okay. Know, so, I, question, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm so good. I just want to read both. Read both. If we fight from time to time, does that mean we cannot have a good marriage? Yes, you could have a good marriage. Thirty-two percent of people. 59% of people said, no, we can't have a good marriage. We fight time to time. People are having trouble with the English and second question. Oh, the second question is a little confusing. Okay. <laughs> so we don't know what they're saying. 10% is maybe Rabbi Schaefer, please help me. So Rabbi Schaefer, take, 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 answer the polls. So I'll tell you where the, the, the first question came from. I, I have a little Yitzhara. And when I do a marriage seminar, I give out a, a sheet, a number of questions. And one of the questions is exactly this question. If one thing can change and make your marriage better, what would it be? That's the question. But you have to understand why I give out that question, because I know what the answer is. The answer invariably is something that my spouse is doing. You see, Ushi put it in a way that uh, it was too obvious. It was a giveaway. You know, no one's going to say it's my spouse. 
but I invariably, when I give it as an open-ended question, and I say, if one thing could change that would improve your marriage, what would it be? Invariably, it's way, way more than 75% of people say something that my spouse is doing. And the reason why I say that is because there seems to be this incredible need within everyone to change their spouse. It's almost like from the time you get married until, unfortunately, until many people are in their grave, they have this incredible need to change their spouse, change their spouse. And I'd like to point out why that is. The reason is because we are unique individuals. I have my way, my spouse has my way. And usually the way I do things is the way I'm accustomed to doing it, not the way my spouse does it. And when my spouse does whatever it is, it just feels strange, it feels, and I know she'd be so much more effective, things would be so much better if only she would change. So I just find it very interesting that the, when, we, when we skew the question incorrectly, we get an answer, I think, different than what I, what I typically find. But I'm sorry, Yoshi, go ahead. Okay, let's jump into the questions. And again, Rabbi Schaefer, how many books are we giving away tonight? What's the story? You tell me. You tell me how many questions. How many? Have five, we have 648 people, so that's 648 <laughs> books. Not okay, quite. so for, any, for everybody who asks a live question, you can email Coach Menachem afterwards with the address for the people that ask live, and Rabbi Schaefer will send them a free copy of the book. Rabbi Schaefer is really pushing this book. Rabbi Schaefer, how many how many millions are you going to make on this book? I'm just curious. Um, lots of money. The question how much yeah? I'm going to lose on it. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. You, you, you're the 10% to answer. If you had the money, that would solve all the problems. Right. <laughs> Write a book. <laughs> okay, let's start with the first question. Again, this year is for everybody. People are newly married. People are married for many years. So there's a lot of questions came in from all angles. So let's start with the first thing, okay? okay. Um, I just got married and I, and, I, and I fell so in love with him. He was so perfect in every way. Am I missing something that everyone thinks marriage is so hard or I'm just from the lucky ones? A young couple just got married and they're so in love. And her question is, is she, is she missing something? It just everything seems so hunky-dory. Okay, so, <laughs> so if I can be honest, what you're missing is a little bit of time. I have this belief that it's either six months after wedding or a year after wedding, whether he or she or sometimes both wake up and say the words, oh my goodness, I'm married the wrong one. I made the biggest mistake in my life. I married the wrong one. And the reason they say that is because the infatuation wore off. Infatuation is a temporary state. It's the newness. It's that sort of sense of, wow, he's perfect. Hashem created that for a very particular purpose. And that is to allow a couple to begin the process. Some couples have a lot of infatuation, some have little, but when it flourishes in the marriage, it lasts for about six months, about a year. And it's rather interesting to know because scientists now tell us that it changes the neurotransmitters, meaning those, the chemicals in your brain that, you know, serotonin, dopamine, the, the, the various neurotransmitters, it has the same effect on the neurochemistry as does cocaine use. Because when the couple's infatuated, woo, they're in la-la land, he's perfect, she's perfect. But that sense of infatuation has a very real shelf life. It's kind of like the sulfur on a match, you strike it, it's supposed to heat up, but if the wood doesn't catch, it doesn't get anywhere. Infatuation is a temporary state, so if you have it, it's great, use it, but if you have to recognize it, it's gonna pass, it's gonna leave. And when you wake up at, after six months or a year at a certain point and you say, oh my goodness, I made the biggest mistake in my life, and that's when your marriage really begins. Because that's when you really work on the bond of love, the connection. If you work on the bond and love, you'll realize that you do love your spouse. It's not that sense of he's perfect. You'll see the flaws. You see infatuation blinds, love binds. When you're in love with a person, you recognize they have flaws. They have shortcomings, very real shortcomings. They're not perfect. I love them anyway. Therefore, I'm very happy 
but I recognize the flaws. So my answer is it's enjoy it, it's gonna pass and work now, begin working on the bond, the connection, because that's really the essence, that's the lifeblood of the marriage, that's the glue of a marriage, the love in the marriage. So make sure you keep working on it. And in Mitzvah Shem, when it passes, you'll be ready to start the next stage. Well, it would be a good... Uh... Not, not one second before you go. I forgot to say that everybody, you know, we have Rabbi Schaefer here. He's many, many years doing this. He wrote many books. I actually read a few of them. And this book is a great book. So you have the schuss of having him here. So please open your camera. If you have a question, ask. Text Usher Parnas over here. Let's really, if we have him, let's 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 nut some ice and let's let's use him. Sorry, go Coach Menachem. What would be a practical one or two things that they should do right from the beginning so that um, they can start off in, in, in the right, with the right, uh, right. positive, yeah. Again, number one, again, dating from the beginning. I have to come back to that. Spending time together, learning each other's needs, becoming familiar with each other, but spending time. There's nothing short of, you know, in, in our world that we live in, everything is so time pressured and there's so many commitments and so many responsibilities. And I guarantee that life will be very, very busy very quickly. Spend time together, continue dating, continue the process, learn your spouse, get ready for what's going to be. I have to be honest with you. If you're young, read the book. Please do me a favor. Read the 10 Really Dumb Mistakes because I guarantee, I guarantee you're going to find many, many things that as you go through life, as you go through your marriage, you're going to say, oh, now I get it. Now I understand why he does that. Now I understand why she does it. So many times you're not going to understand your spouse until 10 years into the marriage, 20 years into the marriage. And when you get insight from people who have been through it already and get some of the you know, perspective, believe me, we all, when I sent this book to, I originally was going to go with Art Scroll, I went with Feldheim. When I was going to go with Art Scroll, I sent a, um, an email to Gadai Zlatowicz. The header said, the subject said, this is the book I wish I read before I got married. And I meant it, Billy Guzma, because we all learn. But if you're able to learn from, you know, without them making the mistakes, it's a lot, a lot simpler. So bottom line is spend time together, <laughs> go out, learn each other, and learn, learn what marriage is about. So here's, here's a question that came in. I married, I married the first girl. She was good. nice, good looking, been married for a few years, and not sure she's my type. I look around my friends, wives, and I keep, th um, keep thinking to myself, if only I waited or dated more people, maybe I would have found someone more my type. That's a great question. And would you, would you like to know what the answer to that question is? Oh, please. You might. You might have married somebody else. You might have found somebody better. You might have found somebody richer or smarter or prettier or whatever. You might have. But if you want to know whether you'd be happier, I'll give you a very simple muscle. <clears throat> Imagine that you're looking for a pair of shoes. And you go to the store, you go to the store, you go to the store. Finally, you find the perfect pair of shoes. They're great. I mean, they're gorgeous. They're in style. They're perfect leather. And, and they're on 50% clearance. It's incredible. Only one problem. They're two sizes too small. But listen, you have a chasana coming up. You get your brother's chasana. You got to wear a pair of shoes. So you put them on and you dance for two hours. And you come home and you make the discovery that your feet are killing you. Because the leather could be fine. It could be very fashionable. But if the shoe doesn't fit, it's going to hurt. Hashem does not take away Bechira from a person. You could have married the wrong person. You could actually do that. But if you believe that you're going to create a better fit, I got news for you. There are some jobs that are better off left to Hashem. Knowing the differences in gender and knowing what you need it for to be happy. And by the way, anyone who thinks I know what I need, I have a very simple question. And I love asking singles this question. 
you know exactly what you need, right? You know your temperament, you know your nature, you know, and you understand marriage. I got that. I have a very simple question. Where do you intend to be 20 years from now? Do you know what kind of person you're going to grow into? When you get married, Mitzvah Shem, you get married for life. A life means 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Do you know you're going to be 35 years from now? How are you wise enough to cross the gender divide and to know the exact match that you need in the other side and to know marriage so deeply when you were never married before and to know the future that 20 years from now, I will be here, she will be here and we will continue to be a perfect match. There's some jobs that are better off left to Hashem. So you're right. You could have done better. You could have married someone richer or smarter, but you married the one that Hashem directed you to and say the words, thank you, Hashem, for bringing me the right one. She may not be the prettiest, she may not be the smartest, she's the right one for me, the perfect fit. And with that, you make a happy home and enjoy life. Rabbi Shev, this is an interesting question, very ashkopic, very uh, up your alley. So I think it's an interesting question. Okay, it's a few questions. And that one wasn't ashkopic? <laughs> this is more like hypothetical, I think. You tell me. Okay. Is it possible to marry the wrong person? Can't you marry the person for the wrong reasons? Looks, money, family. Also, can't you be too picky and say no to the right person? Let's say you have the right person, you say no. If you say that Hashem chooses everyone shidduch, how do you answer those questions? And if it's possible to marry the wrong person, what do you do in such a scenario? So basically, is it possible to even marry the wrong, the wrong person? Okay, so that's a, you're right. That's a tough question. <laughs> okay, so let me say this. It's definitely possible and and to pass up your basherit. And, and that has happened... Uh, many, many times. As a matter of fact, I hate to say this publicly. Um, I hope there are no older singles on this call on a regular basis. When I talk to older singles, I'll, I talk to them, I talk to them, and it doesn't take me long to find out where they made their mistake. I go through this all the time. It was this one, you know, it was two, two years ago. I was going with this one, this one. I felt she was wrong because of this reason. And invariably, I find out where they dropped where they made the mistake. So if you want to know, can you pass up your Bashar? The answer is yes. Shem works it out anyway. There's a second Bashar and a third Bashar. So hopefully you still can be happy and successful, but can you pass up your Bashar? Yes. Now, the other side, the flip side of the coin is a lot more difficult. You know, you have to remember that Hashem runs the world and Hashem wants you to be happy. And more than you love you, Hashem loves you. And Hashem knows better than you what's for your best. And you ever notice that strange things happen? A guy says yes to a shidduch when he never would have said yes, and somehow it just works out. Or a woman, somehow something that he said somehow triggers the right feeling. What I'm saying is it very, very rarely happens that you'll marry the wrong one. That is very, very, now it does happen from time to time, but the vast, vast majority of the time, the people get married are in fact properly aligned but the fact is they're not always going to feel it that way. On a regular basis, I would say to my wife, they're a couple, a match made in heaven, living in Gehenna. I've seen this so many times where a couple is perfectly aligned. They really should have a beautiful marriage, but they're causing so much strife to themselves. The match is perfect, but they're the problem. So many, many times people have the sense, I married the wrong one. And again, could it be there are times and it, it is true, there, but it's very, very unusual. The vast, vast majority of the time you married the right one, you're doing things wrong in the process and that's causing the trouble. Ushi, does that answer the question? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think so. Um, okay, we have a live question because somebody wants a free book. So here we go. Um, first live question, you're on. Who, me? 
Yeah, you. Yes, Rabbi Schaefer, um, thank you very much for addressing that point. Um, if if someone has passed the stage of infatuation, in other words, the engagement, the beginning of the marriage, and he's already in the year of the marriage, how does one continue the fire going, especially, as you mentioned, things do get busy, and you don't want to lose that special um, bond that was that started the whole thing, but now you want to continue that? Excellent question. Excellent question. Okay. The answer is you have to fight for your marriage. You have to make it a commitment and you have to fight for your marriage. That means you have to spend time together and you have to think of clever things. You have to, first of all, again, you're going to go out weekly, right? You're going to make a date night every week. I have one Talmud, one Talmud. I call him anytime, day or night, he answers the phone. One time I call him on Tuesday night, he doesn't pick up the phone. I don't He calls me the next day, he says, I apologize. But, I, I, you know, Rebbe, you told me Tuesday night, that's date night. And he will not answer. For 19 years, Tuesday night is Kaddish Kaddashim. He goes out with his wife. And I got to tell you something. He has a beautiful marriage. We all go through stuff. I don't care how beautiful your marriage is. You're going to go through things in life. If you have Shabbos, a Sunday night's not your night, right? I'm making sure. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it... <laughs> God, after the year, after we <laughs> Late, late night. Late night, right. The late night date. The late... Right. So, so what you have to do again is you have to work on it. Work on it means... And number one, date night. Number two, you look for things to connect, to bond. You know, different people have different things. It could be gifts, it could be words, it could be compliments, but you see what, you, what your spouse needs. Now we're gonna get involved soon that men and women have very real differences in what they need. And one of the key distinctions between men and women is what, the, what they need in the relationship. And you have to study your spouse and know, but more than anything, spending time together, bonding, connecting, doing the things that a couple in love do. Meaning when you were dating, you knew exactly what to do. But Pamzatzal used to say, the courtship must continue. The same things that you used to do, the kind words, the gestures, the same way you used to speak and you used to spend time together, you have to continue doing that, all the things that a couple in love should be doing. So the answer is just fight for it. And by the way, Dove, I want to, one more point I want to say, the biggest competitor, the biggest competitor for romance is children. The biggest competitor for Shalom bias is children. Now, I don't have to tell you that children are a bracha, the huge bracha, but I also want to tell you that you have to fight for your marriage because if you would like to have a happy family and if you'd like to have a successful marriage, you have to spend time together. Now, I can't tell you how many times couples will say to me, we can't go out because it's not fair to Ruchi, she's not going to do her homework and, and I, nobody's going to get my shoe to sleep the biggest, the single best investment you can make in your children's well-development is to have a good, solid marriage. The single best investment you can make in your children being wholesome is to have a solid relationship. Because if your relationship is solid, they're being brought up in a happy home. The minute there's strife, the minute there's fighting, all bets are off. If your child doesn't know all the multiplication tables, or he doesn't know shot exactly in Rashi, he could be a solid citizen. But if mommy and tante are fighting, then the essence of their home is beginning to disintegrate, all better off. The single biggest investment you can make in your children's well-being is to go out, to spend time together, to have a happy marriage. And so you have to fight for it. You have to commit to it, and you have to do what needs to be done. No. Did I answer the question? Yeah. No, you hear me? Yes. Yeah, that was just... If I could just add, I, Baruch Hashem, I've taken that Eighth of Shefer, and we are very marked on it. 
not as makbar as the time for 19 years. We haven't been married for 19 years, but we have definitely in different countries that we've been in, whether it's in America or in so we have tried to do this policy of, of the dating 100%. I'll definitely be open with it. We haven't been consistent and we're definitely working on it. Um, I, I'm just wondering, is this the reason why uh, some couples actually do take a trip, you know, to, to a different state or a different country by themselves, leaving all the kids behind? Is this where it comes from? Is, is that actually um, encouraged by you? Would you encourage this? Okay, if I'm allowed, to, am I allowed to be honest? Ushi, am I allowed to be cared and honest? 100% not. Okay. <laughs> if I were allowed to be honest, I would say mini vacations are a huge part of a successful marriage. A mini vacation means two nights every three months. And so it doesn't have to be the Ritz Carlton, it doesn't have to be the fanciest place in the world. You and your spouse, you take a mini vacation, you go for two nights, and you spend time rejuvenating that connection. Somebody now, wants to know if you can use Meister money for it. You can use Meister money. Or she's going to support it. All the money, all the money that he and I are going to make off the book, we're going to use to support the uh, create a new fund. Um, I don't know if you can use Meister money. It's a wise investment that I can tell you. It is a wise investment. Every three, four months, you take two nights, many vacations, because again, it's not enough to wait to the summer, you know, take a week. How about you do that also? But it's every few months because you have to rejuvenate, you have to reconnect, you have to be a couple in love. Dove, I want to ask you one thing. Do you, do you know, do you remember Todd Miller or no? Do I what? Do you know Todd Miller? <laughs> of course. That's my shver. That's my shver. Really? I cannot tell you. I know very well wow. the story. I know the story specifically, but specifically about you. Ugh. <laughs> oh. My wife remember, is like, wow. okay. <laughs> Email Thank Coach Menachem. Menachem's going to send you a vote. Coach Menachem at Gmail, okay? Good. Okay, Rabbi Schaefer, we're going to go a little deeper now into this. It's a very cute concept. We're going to go out once a week. But <laughs> what is that? Okay, whatever, when you're ready now. Another question people ask him. So when they actually go out and they do spend time, sometimes they feel it's very dry or boring or they're talking about the kids and the money and the problems. They don't feel rejuvenated. So can you walk us through a little bit when you do spend the time and you put the kids by the babysitter, I heard once one last year, somebody said they prepaid the babysitter for the whole year. So every Tuesday night that the babysitter is paid, they wow. have. But the question wow. is, once they go, what what do they talk about? Okay, so let me let me some ground rules. The biggest problem that couples have is they become co-managers of the family business, meaning they become so involved in the runnings of the business, the logistics. And that becomes the sole issues they talk about. So the first rule is no family business on the dates. This is not the time to plan the logistics and the and who's going to pick up the carpool them and, and oh one second, one more thing, no family business and no working on your spouse. I really should have made that. <laughs> this is not the time to finally. Now we have time. I could finally accept my spouse. It's a time to go out together and just talk to enjoy each other's company to just. Meaning when you were when you were chosen and kala, when you were first going out, you knew what to do. You just spend time together connecting, you learning each other. Now, in the beginning, if you haven't gone out in a while, it may be a good idea to plan the date. Maybe a good idea to look up different. By the way, you send me a, you send me an email. I have a list of date things to do on dates. Um, as a matter of fact, but after tonight, it's gonna be when you buy the book, it's gonna be in the free bonuses. You know, we have free bonuses when you purchase the 10 really dumb mistake. After tonight, it's going to be in the free bonuses, a date night ideas, places to go, things to do. But you sometimes right, get... All jokes aside, all jokes aside, Sunday night, let's get real, Coach Menachem. There are a lot of couples that do this together. 
to do this together as a date? Sorry? That's not what he means. That's not what he means. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have to have two nights a week. Two nights a week. This is not a date. This is not a bimkom. You see, if both eyes are looking this way, that's not a date. It's got to be the eyes looking this way for it to be a date. See, but that's exactly the point. A date is a time where you connect, you bond, you spend time together talking about what? Talking about everything and nothing. No particular agenda, no issues, and just spending time together. Now, I want to say one rule also, Ashi. This I didn't say earlier, and this is imperative. Whose job is it to plan the date? So, gentlemen, listen carefully. It is your responsibility. The husband plans the date. The woman is responsible for the child care. The husband is responsible to plan the date. I can't tell you how many times guys say to me, listen, I told her, if she wants to go out, just tell me when and I'll be there. You blew it, guy. Your job is to romance your wife. A woman needs to know that she's cherished. A woman needs to know that she's loved. If a woman knows that she's number one in her husband's eyes, 80% of Shalom Bayek's problems disappear. The problem is, if you're not going to take your wife out, she's going to have the attitude of he doesn't care. He really doesn't want to do this. I mean, he's only doing it to placate me. And you failed. It's the husband's job to plan the date, the woman's job to take care of the child care, the babysitting, whatever it may be. But that, that rule, and again, on the date, what do you do? You enjoy yourselves. You find things you do together that you enjoy. It could be a long walk. It could be whatever you, you enjoy. And you talk about what? Anything and everything just to bond, to connect, to, just to get, to spend time together. Beautiful, Robert Schaefer. Okay, we have another live question. You're on. For me? Yes, you. Okay, great. So, uh, Rabbi Schaefer, first of all, I want to tell you, my husband I've been listening to for many, many years. I won't tell you how many years because I don't want to feel old and I don't want to make anybody else feel old, but I'm only for a very long time. It can't be that many years, but okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, what I want to ask is, you know, Baruch Hashem, my husband and I have been married for almost 20 years. We have a wonderful, loving relationship, but... In the past year or so, we have very different political views lately. Whether it's actually political, COVID-related, we just don't see eye to eye. And it makes us very uncomfortable that we have these um, you know, different views. We, we don't like it. So we decided not to discuss them, that it's just better for our marriage to just not talk about these things. But I'm wondering if that's really the right way to go as a couple who are really so open with each other most of the time about many, most things, to have something that we don't address with each other? Okay, that's a very, it's a very good question. I'm glad you're asking. I don't know why it is, but in the past five years, politics have become color war. It's not an issue of issues. It's not agenda. It's not ideology. It's my team versus your team, blue versus red, and there's no logic, and it's so emotional, and it's so, so, that is, I have no problem with no politics at the dinner table, no politics in your marriage. It's a healthy thing if, you, if it's not beneficial. You see, you know, when you say there's, there's things we don't talk about, this kind of subject is absolutely fine because it doesn't really matter. In other words, it's not something, you know, if you talk about something basic, a shkafa of how to bring up the kids, that I would say, obviously, you need to reach a certain compromise, certain meaning of the mind, you have to address but this is the kind of thing that you and, you know, between you and me and the lamppost, they don't call us when they're making a Senate committee to decide whether to do what or not. You know what I mean? We're not, when we talk about it, just, you know, just really, it's just our opinion, our thoughts. So staying out of color war is a very fine and healthy thing. 
Um, you know, again, it, you know, if it works for you as a couple, do it. If it doesn't work, avoid it because it really doesn't matter. And it isn't, certainly isn't the kind of thing that is a hashkafic issue that we're not, we're not meeting, you know, we're not a meeting of the minds. But I wanted to share with you something even more important. My face is different than your face. The Gemara tells us, as my face is different than your face, my mind is different than your mind. The Metzius is that every human being has a different perspective, a different viewpoint, a different vision of things, because their mind was shaped differently. Hashem gave each person a different, not just personality, but the actual mental processing, the actual the way I view things. So it's natural that a couple will perforce, must disagree on many things, many, many things. Um, I would venture to say couples disagree on more than they agree on. Now, usually what happens is somewhere like in the two or three year point in the marriage, it's usually the woman who says, we don't agree on anything. We, we disagree on everything. And that's absolutely correct. You see, no matter how alike a couple are going to be, they're different temperament, different nature, different ways of doing things. But more than anything, they're of different genders, as in opposite genders. And opposite genders feel differently about things, look at things differently. So there'll be many, many things that a couple should and will disagree on. Now, if it's something that's key and essential to life, then you have to figure out a way to make it work. If it's something that's irrelevant, which again, politics really is for us irrelevant, then leave it off the table. If it's not helping, forget it, move on to something else. So no color war at the dinner table, no color war on the date night and have a happy marriage. Would it be, would it be a good practice for, for A, to try to listen to B, even if they don't agree? No, because it's color war. It's rah, rah, rah. It's not logic. It's not, it's not it's even ideology. That it might, it's a skill that it might need to use in a place where it is, they have to work things out. But just to be able As to look- stay in AA, how's that working out for you? If it's working well, keep doing it. If it ain't working, don't do it. it in other words, meaning it's such, a, it's such a heated issue. People cannot talk politics. Yeah. I, I want you, you could be the, fr- you cannot, I once got this, I once had a, a, a person I considered, Adam, Adam Gottel, almost ripped my head off because I had a different political view with it. I, come on, man. Like, okay, so don't talk politics at the dinner table. Don't speak it on the date table. Keep it off the table if it's, unless it's, you know, helpful. I wouldn't, I wouldn't use this area to practice communication skills because it's too emotionally laden and it's not, it's not worth it. Schaefer, I have these, these two questions. We, we still covered it, but I'm going to read the questions because the questions are so relevant to so many people. By the way, Yoshi, can I interrupt a woman? There's a woman who ch- t- who typed in, how do I get the book? How does she do okay, that? Okay, Rabbi Schaefer, I'll, I'll do all the text. Text me, Yoshi Barnes. We'll tell you exactly how to get the book. Okay. Rabbi Schaefer, <laughs> just look at me. Don't look at the chat, okay? Please. <laughs> Got it? Yeah. Got it. Like on the date, eye-to-eye contact. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to read these two questions because I think they're very relevant. We covered it just now, but I, I still want to read it, okay? I feel like we're more like co-partners or business partners in our life, making mo- making money, working our children. What happened to the romance we had when we first got married? That's the first question. Second question is very similar. Our marriage is okay. I wake up, I go to shul, I come home, I come back, and I go back to shul. My wife has her own schedule. Finally, we have a few minutes to spend together making plans. And again, we talk about our kids and paying bills. I don't feel like the relationship is strong <coughs> like it was in the early years of the marriage. Both questions are basically like they had it. There's no fighting. There's no, but it's, it's like burnt out. So again, I think, I think it's very relevant to a lot of people. Okay. So who am I? Place? I'm, I, I never place blame. I'm a co, I, I place blame, equal blame on both sides of the pizza. But this one, I blame on the husband. 
sir, with all due respect, it is your job to romance your wife. You got to take your wife out. You have to instigate. You have to keep things moving. And that means you have to spend time together. If you're drifting apart, there is nothing other than time that will bring you together. There's no, listen, you were once a couple in love. You share a lot of things. You know, it's, it's very sad. And many times, uh, women especially, I'll hear them say things like, what do you mean? Why do we have to spend time together? We, we spend so much of life together. We bring up the kids together and, and everything we do together. We have the same mashkafa. So uh, we, we spend our, our lives together. What do we have to go out for? If you're not going to go out as a couple, if you're not going to spend time romantically, if you're not going to do the things that a couple does who are in love, guess what? You're going to drift apart. You may be ashkafically on the same part, but there are three parts to a successful marriage. There's commitment, and there's love, and there's learning to live together. The glue of the marriage, that which greases the wheel on a daily basis is the love. And that requires time, it requires commitment. You have to do the things that a couple in love do, but if you don't do it, you're going to drift apart. So I, you know, really, it's, this again, this is the first really dumb mistake that very smart couples make. If you don't work on your marriage, you don't spend time together, you're not going to know why, but you need different worlds. Okay, it's a live question. Let's go straight to the live question. You're on. Hi. Okay, so um, I got engaged, and um, I am wondering what your advice can be um, to, um, I guess, a, a newly engaged girl going into marriage. <laughs> can you see what he did? Nope. Okay, Rabbi Shaver, tell him because she's not. She can't see you. Read the ten really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make. So me, me and my husband learned that actually together. <laughs> <laughs> keep doing it. Keep doing. Just keep doing it. That's what I would. I'd recommend more than anything, because it's in a, It's a roadmap. I spent. I cannot tell how much time I spent. Again. In the past 15 years, I've, been, I've dealt with hundreds and hundreds of couples. And I said, this is crazy because they're doing things that are destructive and it doesn't have to be that way. I spent a fortune of time putting together the material in a way that's even, uh, you know, she'll excuse me for saying it. Schaefer doesn't do funny, but the book is humorous. You'll read it and they're funny. It's actually funny. It's entertaining. It's engaging. But it's incredibly important because it'll take you through the mistakes that we all make until, listen, you don't, you don't get behind the wheel of a car without taking driving lessons, right? You don't, you don't uh, suddenly you become a PA without going to school. Somehow people assume you get married and it just happens. So my, my single advice is learn about marriage. And again, I hate to tell the book, but I, I, I spend a fortune of time putting it together because I think it's imperative. So the single advice I would say is read the book once, twice, keep reading it, and then just follow it. You got it. You're on track. Rabbi Schaefer, do you want to tell everybody the email we got before the share, the person, the couple that got the book and read it, what they wrote us? Go ahead. <laughs> uh, you want to say, say. No, no, you couple, we, we got an email, the couple bought the book, and Rabbi Schaefer's book is trying to help Shalom Bias, is causing Shalom Bias, because the book is so good, one is reading it, and the other person doesn't know what to do, Rabbi Schaefer. So what's the answer? One person so into the book, one of the couples, they're reading the cover to cover, the other spouse feels left out. So what's the answer? You came up with an answer. So I gave him an answer. I, have, I actually have an answer. If you go to theshmooze.com and you buy the book, you also get the audio book for free. So it happens like this. Women read. Guys are, are illiterate. So the woman reads the book. The guy listens to the audio book. And we got shalom bias. Everything's fine and good. But, and, but I, I do mean that. There's meaning a lot of times the audio book is better because you, you digest it better. You'll, you'll hear it better. 
if you go to the shmuzakam and you pick up the book there, I don't want to compete with the stores. So if you buy in the store, doesn't they send me an email? I'll send you a link for the audio book also. But if you buy in the shmuzakam, you automatically get the the audio book with it, and then she can read, he can listen, and we so, have. So Rabbi Schaefer, if if the woman is reading the book and the guy is listening to the audio, is that considered date night? Does that work? <laughs> okay, the next live question. You're as long on. as they're looking at each other oh. while they're doing it, yes. Okay. Um, hi, I just have a question. I've been married for almost two years, and I have been really struggling emotionally, um, just building a very strong connection. Currently, I am separated. Um, I wanted to know if, like, when a person can really make that choice if they've tried their hardest. I really do believe that I've given it my everything, and so has he. We've gone to therapy, we've gone to counseling. Um, we really have tried. How do you really, like, why does, why do I feel that I feel guilty feeling? Like, what if I could have done more, even though I know I really gave it my everything? How, okay. how do I know if I'm quitting or if I really tried? I do believe I'm committed. I gave it two years and I just really feel that I'm unhappy. Okay. So let me be honest with you. There, it's an, it, to call that shot yourself is impossible. You need an outside party, someone who has a lot of experience, who's been involved with many marriages to guide you and direct you because you see, you can't know. I've dealt with many, many marriages, which are, you know, again, maybe they shouldn't be married any longer. And I can tell you, for the, I've dealt with probably 10 times as many marriages where they really could and should be successfully married. Now, not, there are many times when even if a couple should be married successfully, either he or she or sometimes both can't make the changes needed. But in any case, you need somebody guiding you, directing, you need a professional who has a lot of experience in this to let you know the answer to that because you can't call a chat yourself. It's sort of like trying brain surgery on yourself. You can be the most skilled brain surgeon in the world. You can't operate on yourself. So my recommendation is make sure that you find <coughs> either a skilled therapist or rov, someone who's very, very involved in shalom bias issues and follow their direction as to how to proceed. One, okay, I, I, won't this. I must say this, I'm sorry, I must say this also. I should have said at the beginning. Ratius a quote called Davin. Speak to Hashem, ask Hashem. You say these words, Hashem, I want to serve you. I want to serve you exactly as you want me to serve you. Please guide me, please direct me. See, any ishtalas that we do, you and I could debate whether it's effective or not. The one thing I do know that does work is Tila. See, Davin, ask Hashem, ask Hashem, ask Hashem. And this is a good thing to ask Hashem also to send you the right shliach, the right person to ask to direct you. But again, you need someone who is really very skilled, who knows much about marriage and can let you know whether, in fact, you should continue or, or not. Rabbi Schaefer, before we go to the next question, I just want to clarify because we're getting a lot, a lot of texts from a lot of people asking very detailed questions on date nights. So I want to tell you some of the questions people are asking. How long yeah. does it have to be? Could it be in the house? Could it be just this? Does it really have to be every week? Do I, it's very hard for me. What's the minimal investment I have to make? That's basically, you know, but maybe, I'm sorry. The toughness is really to clarify because I think people are, they want to do it. They just want more clarity. Okay. All right. So let, let me be very candid. In theory, you could have a date night in the home. I say in theory, because it'll never work. He's going to do this. She's going to do the laundry. The kid's going to do this. And more than that, when you leave the house, you get dressed, you, you leave the problems behind. You see, the idea of a date night is to connect to leave the busyness, to leave the traffic of life, and just to rebond, to connect. Now, <clears throat> leaving the house, you know, do you, do you have to leave the house every time? Again, I'm a big believer on doing out of the house. When you're at a stage, if you don't have kids yet, or if your kids are grown, can you do it at home? Maybe, but again, it's, it's not the best idea. 
In terms of length, how long it has to be, I used to say three hours and I used to get, I don't know, I get in a lot of trouble now. I, I can't, two, three hours, I think, you know, there's a rov I'm very close with who says an hour. I don't know, I, I have trouble. It's, uh, you know, yesh for yesh, but I would say it, it should be two to three hours out of the house. By the way, you wanna do something very, very productive. How about go for a long walk? Two hour walk. No, it doesn't mean you walk though. Okay, so you people walk. are saying that their husband works at home and they feel like that's the time they're anyway home together all day. Does that count if you work at home and you spend anyway all day together? Yeah, exactly. Talk to me about COVID. Ask me how many couples did well during COVID. Yeah, they were in the house all day together. They should have been so close. They spent the whole time together, yet uh, that wasn't exactly the results we saw. In fact, many marriages suffered tremendously during COVID because you see it's going out and just change of scenery, change of, you know, she gets dressed up, he gets dressed up. It's a, it's a different experience. You, you're, you're wanting, you're, you're reconnecting, you're rebonding in a new way. You're just spending time together. Um, so I have to be honest with you, going out is a, is a major, major piece of it. Now, again, let me come back to this. Going out for a walk can mean you walk for a half hour, you stop on a bench and you talk and you walk some more. It doesn't have to be expensive and it doesn't have to be an elaborate thing, but you're spending time together bonding, connecting. And again, out of the house, I find much better because again, you're not distracted. You're leaving the problems behind. You're spending time together as a couple. So, you know, what can I tell you? I think that's, that's, it's Bodhagamanusa that seems to work and the other choices don't really work well at all. I think, I think for those that this concept is uh, new, they should start off with a uh, half hour or maybe 10 minutes. <laughs> How about five minutes once every three months? Exactly. <laughs> Good beginning. A Should little step, a baby step. <laughs> All right, maybe, maybe. Let's see how that works out. <laughs> As the question came in, I, ha I have a very strong personality. I was born that way, and my husband thinks he likes me for that personality. But I sometimes correct my husband since I want him to know what are you saying or doing wrong. I'm getting feedback, and he, he listens. Uh, I listen to the shirim, but I'm not sure if I'm doing it right. If I'm, and if I'm not doing it right, please tell me if uh, I should, shouldn't do it that way. Okay, I was a high school Rebbe for 15 years and I religiously told the guys to read this book. It was Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Um, I would tell the guys religiously to do it. I never told anybody outside high school because I wasn't so sure, but then I heard Rabbi Miller Zetzal recommended in a shear so I could say it publicly. It is one of the finest books on human relationships one of the finest books on developing immunities, how to find finding how to find and how to I forgot what it's called now. Gail, Gail Carnegie, how to win how to win uh, win friends and influence people, something like that. Yeah, how to win friends and influence people. Wow, I've read it. I have four copies at home, by the way. Okay, anyway, let me tell you, you sowed number one. The first you sowed, he says, is if you would like to have people hate you, criticize them. If you would like to have people like you compliment them. It's the most incredible facet of human nature. I hate criticism. We all hate it. Everyone dislikes criticism. I'll share with you a personal story. My Rebbe the Shiva Zetzal was a tzaddik. You can't imagine the Midos and the Shiva was incredibly, incredibly sensitive and the Shiva would never give Musr. Never gave Musr. You'd say you guys are tissue paper, you'll crumble, you can't give Musr. I was very close to the Shiva Zetzal and I once convinced the Shiva, you know, I can take it. I'm Anyway, the Rashiva one time gave me Musa directly. He told me something I'm doing is wrong. I want you to stop doing it. 
I have to tell you, I love the Rosh Hashiva. When he said those words to me, there was a period, like a separation. It took me weeks, maybe months after to come back. There's no faster way to drive a wedge in a relationship than to criticize a person. If you'd like to damage your children, criticize them. If you want to damage your relationship, criticize your spouse. I, you'll, I apologize for saying it in the negative, but people assume we all have this sort of fantasy. All I have to do is tell my spouse X, Y, and Z, and suddenly they'll change and be different. It never works. They never change. All they hear is criticism, which is a dagger. It's a stabbing. It just, it, it, it's a wedge. It, it distances people. I can't tell you the damage that criticism does. And again, the flip side of it, words of compliment, words of praise are golden. We all have needs. Most of our needs are met. There's one human need that almost no one has met sufficiently, and that's the need for approval. We crave it. We need it. If you can give your spouse approval, what you did was great. Hey, great job. I'm very impressed. But honest, earnest approval, you're giving them the greatest gift. You're building your relationship. We have a whole, I have a whole chapter on appreciation in, in the 10 real demosaics that deals with this, just this. But this I can tell you, please, I beg you, if you want a happy marriage, if you want happy children, avoid criticism like the plague, because that's exactly what it is. It's damaging. It's destructive. And the first rule in all human relationships is avoid criticism. Okay, Rabbi Schaefer, are you ready for the next one? I'm ready. Okay, it's a live question. Here you go. You're on. Go. Um, Rabbi Schaefer, I just had a question. When I'm expecting, I get very sick and I'm on IVs for a few months. And uh, my husband's very understanding, but during this time, I feel like it's a big strain on the marriage. Um, how do you recommend, like, like, what can I do to help it? First of all, I mean, it's obviously, it's a very rough situation. I mean, you're sick, you know, you have to know something. You could be the kindest, sweetest person in the world. And when you're sick, it's hard to be kind, sweet, and nice. And it's hard to be tolerant because you're sick. So what can you do? You have to do your best. You have to, you know, you have to do your best to recognize that, you know, you're in a tough time. Hopefully your husband, as you say, he's sensitive and he recognizes. And you have to do your best to, to get through in the best way you can. In other words, there are rough spots in marriages and rough spots in life. And, and if you have a robust, healthy relationship, and despite the rough spots, you're able to get through it. But you have to recognize that you're coming to a Nisoyan. The Nisoyan is you're not going to feel well. And when you're not feeling well, you're not going to be happy and chipper. And excuse my saying it this way, because I'm sure you're a, you're a wonderful person. But, you know, when I know myself, when I'm sick, I'm grumpy. I'm not really pleasant company. And it's important for you to recognize that when you're in that mode, it's not your fault, but likely you're not pleasant company. And therefore, you have to recognize that when you're saying things, likely the people on the receiving end of it might be kind of feeling a little bit of the abrasion. And when you see back from them responses that are less than so loving, you have to be a little tolerant and recognize that it could be because, you know, no one's to blame here. But again, it could be because of things that you're saying and doing. So Again, what can I tell you? It, it is a very rough situation to be in, but again, a robust, healthy relationship. Mr. Hashem, you'll be able to get past it, and Mr. Hashem, have healthy, beautiful children, and uh, have much, much atzlocha afterwards. Rabbi Shimon, let's go. We got we got so much more to cover. You ready? Actually, no. Can I stop for one second? I, I want to focus. On, go back to that for one second. Do you, is, are you still there? Or did I lose you already? Yeah, there, there, there. Just mute it. Should I mute her? I know. Don't hear. Let me explain what I mean. You see, we all, it's an incredible thing. Anytime a couple gets into a fight, 
Um, by the way, in answer to that second thing about couples getting to fight, most couples fight and most beautiful marriages have times of disagreements, bickering, and even fighting. And if you tell me that we're fighting and therefore we can't have a good marriage, I beg to differ. It's not true. I know many beautiful marriages where they fight from time to time. Things come up. Listen, you have to understand something. In the heavy traffic of life, we can't help but hurt each other. We're so close. There's no relationship in the world where you're so interdependent and you're so close. If he's late, she's late. If she bounces a check, he has to clean up the mess. And there's no relationship in the world where you're so committed, so connected, and you're so together in this. It's impossible in that type of close relationship not to have situations where un inadvertently you didn't intend it, but you hurt the other's feelings. And naturally, we're all sensitive and naturally we'll all react. And fighting in the marriage, unfortunately, is part and parcel of a, a happy, successful marriage. It doesn't mean you don't have a great marriage. You could have a great marriage, but people get hurt, things happen. What's far more important than whether you fight or not is do you know how to repair the rift? Do you know how to make up? Do you know how to come back together? And you could have a beautiful, long-standing marriage that has fights from time to time as long as you know how to repair the rifts and come together. And there's a whole art of the apology, and I can't get into it now, but again, it's in the 10 really dumb mistakes, <clears throat> the art of the apology, how to apologize and how to receive the apology, which is, it's a complex process. <clears throat> but again, you know, fighting alone is not indicative of anything other than that. Now, <clears throat> let me just, the reason why I want to come back to the point she made is that, <clears throat> you see, whenever I get into a fight with somebody else, it's pushed and it's obvious that they're wrong. Because once I've said something, and what happens is I just said words, but you stabbed me in the heart. Meaning when I say words to you, I just said words, but you attacked me, you said words. So when I hear your, your harsh <clears throat> attacked me, I just retaliated. And when I retaliated, I just said words back. But when you stab me back, it's always, no matter what happens, everyone's always the victim. In any fight, both parties are hurt and <clears throat> both parties are the victim. And the reason I say that is because you're not going to realize it. If you're not feeling well, you're going to act in a way, again, not, not to your fault, but you might be acting in a way that's less than so sweet. And it's important to recognize that, that the responses that you're getting, can my upon him upon him, like the mirror reflects, oftentimes you might be getting that back. And it's important for you to be tolerant and recognize that it might be, unfortunately, just the circumstance of what's, what's happening. Oshi, did I go on and on and on and make my, everybody crazy? It was amazing. Rabbi Schaefer, the best. Okay, we have so much more to cover, though. Okay? Okay. Uh, let's go. We're going deeper. Okay, I've been married for many, many years. I want to bring up an issue in marriage that I don't understand at all. I wake up every morning. I help in the house. I go to shul. I work. I make money. I help at bedtime. I buy my wife gifts. I do everything. I'm not a very verbal person, though. How important is to verbally say, I love you? Every single thing I do, every single thing I do is love. Don't, 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 just don't get it from the, from the alpha. Basically, he doesn't understand it from the alpha male. He does everything. Obviously, everything he does, love her. But how does he have to actually verbally say it? Explain okay. that. Okay, so let me, um, how's that working out for you? By the question, it ain't working out so good. Let me, uh, let me show you something very, I find very, it's very. Certain does. He hears the, he heard the concept, he just doesn't understand it. Okay, so let me explain to you something. <clears throat> Probably the biggest complaint that marriage therapists hear from women is we never talk. And probably the biggest complaint that marriage therapists hear from men is 
all we do is talk, talk, talk. Now, somebody's got it backwards, right? Either we're, talk, we're not talking enough or we're talking too much. But I'd like to share with you the answer to that great dilemma. Would you like to know the, the secret? If you'd like to know the secret, all you have to do is go to a kiddish and listen to the conversations on the women's side of Mechitza and listen to the conversation on the men's side of Mechitza. If you listen on the women's side of Mechitza, it sounds something like this. Oh. Oh. Okay, now let's flip to the men's side. The men's side of Mechitza, the conversation sounds like this. Great talking to you, guy. You ever notice women make all of these sounds, these listening noises and sounds? You need a lexicon. You need an entire dictionary to what the O's and the A's are. Why do women do that? Anyone know the answer to this dilemma? Why do women make all of those listening O's and A's and O's and O's? And what, what's that about? Guys don't do that. So I'll let you in on the great secret. And the great secret is that men and women speak for different reasons. Deborah Tannen, a linguist who's also a social anthropologist, wrote a number of books describing the different reasons why men and women speak. They speak about different topics, they speak in different manners, and they speak for different reasons. Women typically speak to connect, to bond, to share, and they want to express things. And an emotional expression, if I'm expressing something, the receiver shows that she's listening by saying, oh, and I express my emotions or expect expression back up. Guys typically talk about topics. They talk about things, ideas, maybe in learning, maybe about business, but they're not talking anywhere near as much to communicate emotions. Here, I'll make it much more simple. When my oldest daughter was, uh, she was a senior, and she, one Friday night she said to me, two of her friends didn't come to school that day. I said, why not? She said, well, they were up late last night having a DMC. I said, what's a DMC? She said, oh, but you know, a DMC. I said, no, what's a, what's a DMC? She said, well, they were up late last night having a deep, meaningful conversation. They were talking, engaging back and forth. They're up till three o'clock in the morning. And so they, they didn't come into, they were too tired. They didn't come to school that day. I had taught boys high school for about 15 years by that point. Never once did I hear two guys staying up all night, sharing their emotions, communing, and letting the other ones feel. Never once in 15 years did I hear seniors, guys talk that way. There's a very real difference between the way women communicate and men communicate. And women typically communicate to share, to bond, to connect. And communication is a way for them to do exactly that. Men typically don't. Now, the reason I say that is because it is a husband's job to understand the emotional needs of his wife. A wife needs to connect emotionally. The way she does it typically is through talk. The Chazanish says, when you leave the house, when you come back and you tell your wife where you go, you tell about big things, about little things, because you're communicating, you're sharing, and you want to foster that connection. And as a husband, you have to learn how to listen. You have to learn how to listen and to engage and maybe even learn that lexicon of oohs and ahs and how to, I know it's a little strange for us guys to do, but the point is, more than anything, a husband and wife have to recognize that they are different. And one of the key differences between them is in what they talk about, why they talk, and how they talk. And it's a wife's job to recognize that a husband has different needs in talk, and therefore she has to keep her girlfriends, and she has to, you ever notice a woman will tell the same story to five different friends, the same story, and one after another, she'll tell the story over and over. And you have to recognize your husband doesn't quite have the same tolerance for that much talk, and a husband has to recognize that his wife has a real need to talk. And therefore you have to learn how to communicate, you have to learn each other's needs, and that's a big part of success, successful, successful marriage. So 
And so the fellow says, um, he was really dealing with specifically the word, I love you, which is vital and imperative. And it's imperative to say, because you could feel it and you could think it, but if you don't express it, the receiving party doesn't know it. So bottom line is learning how to speak so that your wife understands and learning how to communicate and learning your wife's language is a key to a successful marriage. Oshi, did I answer that question? Excellent. Rabbi Schaefer, I have a present for you. A present, yes. What do Are I get? Ready? I'm going to share a picture and you're going to tell everybody who it is, okay? You go for it. This is from Mayor Broll from Dika Chaylam of Lakewood. Tell okay. me who's in this picture. <laughs> who is that? It's, it's my Rabbi Rishivitzal and uh, some young guy. Uh, I don't know, the, uh, some young, young guy. Uh, a good looking guy on the left. Who is that? Um, um, it looks like like I used to look. Reverend Cena Schaefer. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Here we have a question. hundred years ago, I'm afraid. Yeah. There are a few things my husband does that really makes things so much more difficult for us and the children. For example, he'll come home at bedtime and get all the kids excited. Like she worked hard and now they're all jumping around. He always runs late to every event, causing so much rush and pressure. He leaves things to the last minute, even important bills. My question is, basically, if, if my spouse would be different, everything would be so much better. Is, that, is, is there something wrong with thinking that way, feeling that way? And what can I do about it? Okay, so first of all, I, I hear, unfortunately, that's a very difficult reality, and it's something that we all experience. By the way, we every single spouse always feels something is in the marriage would be much better if it'd be different. I hear what you're saying, and, and I, I can recognize it being very difficult, but I, I want to share with you a perspective that I think is very important. I was once giving a share, uh, it was actually a Shabbaton and Shalom Bias, and a fellow came, comes over and he says, Rabbi, you have to help me. I'm a doctor, I work in the emergency room and there are many young nurses there, slim, trim. And, and my wife, I'll be honest with you, I, she's, she's wonderful, but she's 40 pounds overweight. She had our first kid, she put on weight and she didn't lose that weight. She had our second kid, she put on more weight, didn't lose that weight, our third kid. And now she's 40 pounds, I offered her everything. I offered her nutritionist, I offered her uh, exercise classes and she just won't do it. Rabbi, help me, what could I do to get her to change? So I looked at him, I said, young man, you have a choice to make. You either embrace your wife as she is, or you suffer. Because I said, I don't know of a woman who wakes up eight years after the marriage and says, 40 pounds overweight, kishmak, that's just what I always wanted to be, that's great. I don't think so. So why doesn't she just lose the weight? Why don't you go on Weight Watchers? Why don't you do the, the, the exercise class? The answer is, for whatever which reason, there's just too much on our plate right now. There's just either the kids or life, whatever it is. And right now, it's not going to happen. And you have to recognize that it's not going to happen. And your choice is either to embrace her as she is or suffer, because any attempt to change her at this point isn't going to work. And this is one of the most important ingredients in a successful marriage, learning that my job is not to change my spouse. I can barely change me. I surely can't change my spouse. Now, what I'm speaking about is things that you've discussed many times before, things that you talked about, things that you both know, and it really is bothersome. At a certain point, you have to realize there's a reason for it. The reason is because different people have different natures. Some people have very, very good strengths, very great qualities in certain areas, and they have certain deficits. We all have them. 
Now, if there's this deficit that your husband has, he's whatever it may be, and it bothers you, you discuss it, you tell him, you talk about it, you talk about it. After a while, and when I say a while, it means after a while, you begin to realize he's not going to change. But why? Why doesn't he just change? The answer is most likely because it's his temperament, his nature. If he'd stop everything else, if he didn't work, if he didn't learn, if he didn't dominate, and he only worked on this issue, I bet you he could change it. But guess what? With everything going on, likely he's not going to change. And the reason he's not going to change is because he's not really barhochi. He's not capable of changing that right now. And you have a choice. You either embrace him as he is or you suffer. And learning to accept that which you can't change is one of the keys to being successfully married. And by the way, that's mistake number six. The sixth really dumb mistake that very smart couples make is they desperately try to change their spouse. They try and they try, they try and they try, and it doesn't work. And by the way, I'll share with you an interesting personal theory. Can I share with you a theory? Sure. I have this theory that most marriages kind of have this, they kind of like go, uh, 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 and after 20 years, suddenly they improve greatly. Like for 20 years, they're going, eh, 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 just okay. And at the 20 year mark, suddenly they, they become much different. Would you like to know my theory why that is? For 20 years, she's desperately trying to change him. She tries and she tries and she tries. And finally, she gives up. Oh, the guy's a, a klutz. He'll never change. And she stops trying to change him. And suddenly, he starts acting much nicer. And suddenly, their relationship improves dramatically. And suddenly, they live happily ever after. So the great secret is you don't have to wait 20 years. It's not going to work. You can't change him. You can barely change yourself. You can't change yourself anyway. You can't. You're not going to change him. And if you keep on trying and trying, all you're doing is poking him in the eye, poking him in the eye. Why does he, he want to spend time with me? Why does he want to come home at night? Because you keep bothering him. Stop bothering him. Maybe he'll learn to be a nicer guy. Don't change your spouse. It's not your job. Don't change your spouse. It doesn't work. Don't change your spouse because it wrecks the relationship. Did I make that clear? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. I hate to, be I so want to know when couples come in sometimes, you say, oh, that's number three. That's number seven. That's right. That's we, we have the joke, right? I'm a sex noise. Right, right. Hold that one already. Right. Hey, this is a tough question, Rabbi Sheff. You ready for the tough ones now? Nope. Okay. Because all now was all like the little ones. Now we're going to get a little bit more into it. Okay. okay. <laughs> this was emailed right before the share. Everyone knows that you're not supposed to change your spouse. I think really? That's yep. Wait, 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 wait. Oshi, can I stop you for a minute? I was giving a Shalom Bias Shear. It was, it was broadcast by Torah Anytime. How do I know this? I'm giving the shear and I do this whole routine of don't change your spouse, don't change your spouse. I went on for 20 minutes. A guy comes over to me after the shear with his phone. His wife was watching the uh, the Torah Anytime broadcast and during the shear was texting him. This is the message. <clears throat> Rabbi Schaefer says, don't change your spouse. Well, my resident said, if you don't <clears throat> help your spouse become who they are, you're not doing your job. Your job is in a carousel of bias is to see what your spouse is doing wrong and to help them. And if you're not doing that, you're not doing your job. That's what he showed me on the phone. What did I say to him? I said, number one, I don't think the Rebbitson ever said that. And if she did, then I have to imagine that her husband is either a Toen Gittin or a divorce lawyer, because it's the worst advice ever. So let me be very clear. A caress of bias is not the, the job of a wife is not to improve your husband. The job of a husband is not to improve your wife. Don't change your spouse. Don't do it. Don't do it. So if you say everyone knows we're not supposed to do it, no one knows it. We all do it. Just take your pulse. Take, your, take the litmus test. 
just find me tomorrow, just pay attention and tell me there aren't five or six or seven times when you really desperately try to change a spouse without him knowing that. Okay, but fine, let's grant. I'm sorry, Hoshi, go on. Let's assume everyone knows. We don't everyone change. knows that you're not supposed to change your spouse. You're supposed to accept him as he is and work on changing yourself. This is how I tried to live for almost 20 years of marriage. My husband is a huge spender, a hoarder, messy, and I am the opposite. He knows it's hard for me and tries to minimize it when he can, but I have to put up with a lot all these years. At this point in my life, all I could feel is huge pain from all that I have put up with. I feel that I have been dealing with extremes, and now that my efforts to be patient and accepting have become haunt to me as now, I have years of baggage from all the tolerance over the years. Maybe you'll say I didn't accept it in this case, could be, but I did tolerate it a huge amount and lowered my standards by far. Okay, first of all, I, I hear and, and I, I life, you know, I, I don't, I don't okay, want to. I just want to clarify the question, make sure I understand it. Basically, they did it, they did the Rebbe Schaefer method number six, time to try to change your spouse. And 20 years later, they feel pretzeled and they feel like it's just so hard for them because they, they put up so much and they still feel nothing. Okay, so again, first of all, I, I hear what you're going through and, and I, I, I recognize it is very difficult and very unfortunate. I, I'd like to also share with you that I believe every spouse has that to some level, maybe to your, not to the same extent that you're feeling it, the same extent that you're having to put up with it, but it's, it's a part of life. But let me, let me address what you're, what you're saying. And when you say that your husband really has tried, so here's the question I have, why didn't he succeed? If he's a hoarder and he's a spender and you, he, it's clear that he wants to please you and he, clear, he clearly understands that it's bothering you and it's causing a lot of trouble and he tried, why didn't he succeed? Why didn't he just change? And I think the answer to this question is the key to understanding how to deal with this issue. And the reason he didn't change is not because he doesn't love you. And the reason that he didn't change is not because he's a creep or callous or mean or anything other than that is his nature. <clears throat> Hashem gives different tevas to different people. Are we supposed to work on it? Absolutely. But as you know, from any area you've worked on in life, growth is very slow and very incremental. <clears throat> you work, you take tiny steps, tiny steps. As Coach Menachem said, you don't go out for three hours every week in the beginning. You take slow steps. But my point is, seriously, you take slow incremental steps and change is very, very slow. Now, I want to put this into perspective for a minute. <clears throat> what if your husband had a medical condition that made life difficult? Rahman's son, he was paralyzed from the legs down. And you had to do a tremendous amount of work. Imagine for a minute, your husband could do basically nothing. He's in a wheelchair. Now, <clears throat> that's a very difficult situation. Very, very hard. And it creates a tremendous strain on Shalom Bias. But I'd be willing to bet you it'd be a lot easier. You'd feel a lot less of the emotional baggage. And the, because I believe that a big part of the reason you're feeling this emotional baggage is because you have an inner complaint. Why didn't he just change? He should have just changed. And the minute you understand that the reason he didn't change it, that's his nature. It's his teva. And again, I bet you if he stopped everything else, as I said before, if he did nothing else, if he didn't work, he didn't daven, didn't learn, and only worked on not hoarding and not spent, I bet you could change it. But giving everything else in life, the odds are very, very slim that he could change it. And as you say, he does care and he did make attempts to do it. And I think you have to recognize that that's his nature. And if you could learn to accept that, understand that he didn't choose that. You have a, a complaint, the complaint should be directed at the one who created him. He was made that way. And that's where he was born. 
And if you could learn to just fully embrace that, I don't think it'll be as anywhere as difficult because the simple reality is someone made him that way, that someone is his creator. And when you understand that, I think it's a lot easier to accept. And I think there'd be a lot less emotional baggage. Now, obviously here you have 20 years of sort of reprogramming, reprogramming yourself, but I think that's the avoda. The avoda is to go back and say to yourself, I forgive him because it's not his fault. I forgive him because it's not something he did intentionally. I forgive him because he loves me and he would do it, but he can't. And just as if he had a medical condition and couldn't do something because of that, this is the same. And I have to tell you, in marriages, we would all be so much happier if I could just accept my spouse. Hashem made them as Hashem made them, and I accept it. Life would be a lot sweeter. Yes, yes. I want to. I just want to say one more thing before we go to the next question. Yeah. Rabbi Shimon Russell, famous Rabbi Shimon Russell from Lakewood, who's an ex-troll now, says a very big excited. I'm going to try to say it over good. He's going to be on next week, so if I say it incorrectly, he'll re-say it. Three madrigas in marriages when it comes to this. This is his famous word. First madriga is my spouse has a chasarin, and I learned to, okay, they have a chasarin, I'll deal with it. Like, it's, it is what it is. Then the next, the next side of marriage is the person has a chasarin, even though they have a chasar, I'll still love them for who they are. And I learned that they're, they're, they're them, I mean, he said the ultimate level of marriage is you realize that you're prashert, that chasar is really for your ultimate ticket and effort. And thank you for having that chasar because that chasar helps me become a better person. So that's the ultimate level. I have to have so many chasronas that I needed a spouse with that much ticket for me. I've... Right. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. And again, you can touch it how you want. And obviously, everything has levels and limits. But I just wanted to bring up that you said. I could ask him next week when he's on. I think okay. I think we should take a moment because you're talking about acceptance. I see a lot of people are sending in the questions. What do I do with this and with that? And they're trying and trying. Like you're saying, you have to stop trying. But there's a lot of things going on. And you're saying, OK, you have to learn how to accept. Uh, where do we start accepting things that we hate? Or are you working on trying to change and they're going for help? And now you're saying, okay, accept it. <laughs> Where did they start? Yeah, Rabbi Schaefer, the, the emails in the chats are blowing up. How, what's the limit of accepting? My husband's yes. making us go broke. He spends like crazy, no control. How do we accept? How do we don't accept? So um, how do we accept? Can clarify I it a little bit better. I can clarify. Can I, can I be frank and honest around here? No. If you're having a problem with your marriage, I have a simple Musser exercise that is fantastic for all growth. You ready for this? A little difficult to do, but if you do it, I guarantee you to improve your marriage, improve your emotional health. Here, here you go. You go over to the mirror and you say these words. You, you are a difficult person to live with. You, the guy in the mirror, the guy looking back at me, you are a difficult person to live with. You, not me, my, my spouse. No, no, you, you're a difficult person. Me? You mean my spouse? No, you, you're a difficult person to live with. Now, how do I know you're a difficult person to live with? because we all have stuff. Hashem created us imperfect. We're put into this world to grow, to perfect ourselves. If you were perfect, you'd be done your job here. I hope you got work still to do because hopefully you'll be around for a while. But we all have idiosyncrasies and quirks and ways of doing things. The only thing is when I do things my way, that's normal. It's everyone else who's got the problem. And that's the simple reality. If I could learn to look in the mirror and say the words, I got my stuff. I got my difficulties. I'm a difficult person to live with. Well, but I had roommates. Yeah, you never had a relationship. We actually had to be this close. We actually mixed two lives together. When you mix two lives together, invariably there are differences. 
There are differences in emotionality, differences in temperament, different inclinations, differences in personalities, and those differences are going to surface. And you are a difficult person to live with. You have your shtick, you have your idiosyncrasy. Me, yes. You have your ways. You're either too rigid or too flexible, and too on time or too late. You're too. Meaning, there are 16 different in the Briggs Myers inventory of of personality traits. There are 16 different categories. You'll find successful people in every one of them. But the problem is when you mix two different ones, suddenly there's a lot of compromising, a lot of getting used to things that has to happen. But that's invariable in a marriage. They're opposite genders, opposite personalities, and they're going to be huge differences. And recognizing that you're not an easy person to live with. Recognizing that I am a difficult person to, to live with makes it a lot easier to accept that my spouse as well is also a difficult person to live with. What, Does what that sound? Be, yeah, what, what would be with uh, Yiddishkeit, compromising Yiddishkeit, if you see your spouse is a little bit... Uh... You got a lot of questions like that, Rabbi Schaefer. What if my husband's not learning and not davening and that sort of... Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, so let me... no, let's go the other way. My wife's not sneezing enough. My wife's not... Right. Okay. Uh, so she, again, am I allowed to be honest? No. Always. No. Nope. This one I'm going to be honest on. Last one. Not okay, here we go. Watch this. Imagine Jim Kipper. A woman comes home at 2 o'clock in the afternoon from shul. She walks into her house and she sees her husband on the couch smoking a cigar, eating a ham sandwich. Stop that! Put that down! What's wrong with you? And Jim Kipper, you're... Okay. Was she correct? Jim Kipper, he's eating a ham sandwich. Smoke is, was she correct? So I'd like to share with you, she was absolutely correct. If she was his Rebbe, his mentor, his policeman, his mother, it's absolutely her job then to correct him, set him straight and put him in the right way. But that's not the relationship. Reim Ahuvim, best friends who live, who love each other. Reim Ahuvim Zedzeh means they're best friends who love each other. That is the relationship. No one is the mentor. No one's the Rebbe. No one's the teacher. No one's the policeman. Now, she may find herself in a situation where this isn't the relationship which she bargained for. This isn't what I contracted for. And she may have to make a decision to leave. But if she is in this relationship, she is Reim Ahuvim, best friends who live each other, love each other. And friends act as friends act. Friends are not bosses. Friends are not policemen. Friends do not tell what to do. And the minute she points her finger and says, put that down now, because she stepped out of the role of a best friend who loves her husband and she's entered a new role. So the bottom line is like this. It is not your job to police your wife. It is not your job to police your husband. If your husband's not learning enough, that's not your job. If you, have, if you want to be effective, there's only one thing you could effectively do. You daven, you ask Hashem for help. It's not your job to tell, by the way, I want to ask a question. Have you ever told your husband to learn and it was successful? Have a woman ever said to her husband, I want you to go to Minion and, and oh, oh, I'm going to go right now, dear. I, I got to be honest with you. I love learning. I love dominating. And there are times I, I have some bad habits and I'm late. Do you know my wife never tells me, why don't you, why don't you stop learning and, and go dominate now because you're, you're going to be late? Why doesn't she say that to me? Because it will backfire. It will backfire. I, it would make it much more difficult for me to be on. Why? I don't know why, but I just, oh, come on, not only to wreck the relationship, it would make it more difficult for me to be on time because that's the way we human beings are. So the bottom line is like this. Number one, it steps outside the relationship. Number two, it never works. It doesn't, you never, 
it doesn't succeed. That's not how human beings work. It doesn't work with kids. It doesn't work with your spouse. So the bottom line is, it's not your job. So please don't do it. Was that clear? Beautiful. Okay, let's go to the next live question. Yeah. You're on. Hi, my name is Sarah Klein. Um, I'm married for like only a few months, but I'm just wondering, so far, I don't think I'm trying to change my spouse. Like, I don't wake up every day thinking like, how could I, what should I do next in this project of changing my spouse? But is it possible that that's what I'm doing without realizing it? And if so, how would I know? Um, okay, so can you repeat the question because not everybody could hear it so clearly. Yeah. yeah, so I think the question was, um, if I heard it correctly, the question was that maybe I'm trying to change my spouse, um, but I, but I'm I'm not sure. I, I don't know if I am or not. Was that uh, was yeah, that so? That's what I thought. I heard. Okay. So I have a little secret. There's one person to ask that question to. You, ask yourself: Am I trying to change my spouse? You'll know the answer. If you're trying to change your spouse, don't worry about it. You see, you only have to ask you. Your spouse will know right away. Your spouse knows absolutely, you know, everyone thinks I'm going to try to change my spouse in a way that he won't realize. In this way, behind the scene, with positive reinforcement, with your spouse will read through you like a book. The only question you have to ask is to you, am I trying to change my spouse? If the answer is yes, stop it. It doesn't work. It backfires. It's not your job. It's not your responsibility. It wrecks the relationship and it makes it harder for him to do whatever. So if you're not sure, just ask yourself, am I trying to change my spouse? If the answer is yes, stop, especially if you're newly married. It's a, it's a, you see, it's a habit that when you get into and keep at long enough, it becomes very difficult to change. If you're newly married, just remember, you're responsible for your ruchnius. Hashem's going to ask you one question when you've done your job on this earth. How much did you grow? How much did you accomplish? You keep your eyes on your side of the mechitza. Your husband's responsible for his ruchnius. You're responsible for your ruchnius. As long as you keep that clear, life will be fine and well. You work on the relationship. And by the way, the better the relationship is, the more your husband's going to want to please you. If you have shi'ifas, if you have real, you want to grow and you want to accomplish, you want to raise a real Torah home, the more your husband loves you, the more he's going to want to please you, the more likely it's going to be that he's going to do those things that you ultimately want. Learn, daven, whatever it may be. The more he feels that you're poking a finger in his eye, the more he feels that you're looking down at him, the more he feels that you're acting like his Rebbe, his mentor, his whatever, the more you're going to distance him from you, the less likely he's going to want to do those things. So you're making it doubly difficult. You're making it hard for him and you're wrecking the relationship. Okay, here's the, the next question. My personal experience and, and how I grew up, I was raised, was much more firm and direct, especially with parenting the, the kids. My wife comes from a much more laid back environment and the same thing is with parenting. It gets me so upset when I come home after bedtime and my wife is playing and reading with the kids. I just feel it's not the proper way in Chinuch. Okay, good, excellent, excellent question. I love the question. Now I wanna tell you something. Your way, my way, this way, that way, one thing I guarantee, the single biggest obstacle to your children growing up happy and healthy is any period in Shalom bias. Meaning whatever the educational philosophy is, your way or my way, the damage done in the relationship will cause much greater damage than anything you could ever do by being too lenient or too strict with your children. Because if the home is happy, if there's a real vibrant connection, your children by and large will be happy, wholesome, well-developed people. 
a little too strict, a little too lenient, won't make the difference. But if the Shalom bias starts to erode, I guarantee they're going to be troubled individuals. You're going to cause them tremendous, tremendous damage. So more important than you're right or I'm right or which educational system, which discipline system, make sure that the Shalom bias is intact. What is it worth fighting about in a marriage? Nothing. And certainly not when it comes down to discipline or educational systems. But I have a much bigger bone to pick with that. When my wife and I, when one of our children was uh, young, so it's the school recommended that we see a certain um, psychologist. We were in Rochester, I was a Rebbe in the high school there. And this woman was teaching parenting courses. So the school recommended that we see her to deal with our child, how to deal with our child with school, et cetera. Okay, so we went to Dr. Rita Odenberg. She was the, she had been the head of psychology in University of Rochester. She was now teaching parents how to work with children. So we went for a few sessions with her and we learned to deal with our child and we continue going week after week after week. I would sit there with a notebook taking copious notes. We became Talmudim. I begged her to write a book. I was going to write it with her because she was, unfortunately she died before she wrote it. But my wife and I went for weeks, for years. We went, I, I don't know how long we went, but I'm telling you, we became Talmudim. And I discovered something amazing. She was, first of all, she was a Talmud of Chaim Ganat. And she was a real mumcha. She really understood child education, the nature of a child, child emotionality, child psychology. Anyway, I discovered something amazing. And that is that I knew very little. I was a parent, but I knew very, very little about the nature of a child, what educational systems work best, what discipline systems work best. And that's when I realized something. Most parents have a very strong sheet about discipline based on one thing, their nature, their temperament. It's not something that they studied, not something that they went out there and really looked into and really delved into, and certainly not something that they studied the nature of their child and recognized that their child might be very different than them and might need the opposite discipline system that worked well for them. Most parents discipline by instinct. This is the right way, strict or lenient, loving or more, but that doesn't mean anything other than that's the way that's natural to you. Now, the reason why I say that is, are you so certain that your way is the best way and your spouse's way is damaging to your child? I'm willing to bet you, you haven't studied carefully. And I'm willing to bet you that you're really not that skilled in child psychology and you haven't studied that much. Again, my wife and I, after studying by this woman for many, many years, we realized how little we knew, but here's the point. Likely, it's just the way you feel about things. So when you recognize that, it becomes a lot easier for you to say, okay, maybe my way is my way, but it's a lot better for my child to give in to my spouse because we're going to have a wholesome, happy marriage and my child will benefit much more. And besides which, I may not be right anyway. So I, again, I think that perspective is very important to keep in mind that when it's, you're giving in to your spouse, not only are you building shalom bias, it might be your spouse is right and I guarantee strict or lenient is going to cause much less damage to your child than the damage of a friction in your marriage itself. Okay, Rabbi Schaefer, just uh, one or two more questions. Yeah. Huh? Okay, well, I'm gonna ask this, we have a few good questions came in. I just wanna catch them quickly before we go to closing. What if there's real stuff I don't like about my spouse? For example, like lack of hygiene, falling asleep at the meal on Shabbos, things that are really anger, something that's 
you know, past the just accepting part where, you know, how do you deal with that? Things yep. that things that lead me to dislike him. Yep, you got a problem. Yep, you got a problem. And you have a choice. You either embrace him as he is or suffer. But Rabbi, that's so unfair. Yes, I, I, I want to be nice. I want to be kind. I want to be sweet. But what can I tell you? Madam, with all due respect, you're also not the easiest thing in the world. I guarantee you either bounce checks or you're too rigid or you're too flexible or you're too whatever. I guarantee if we'd ask your husband, is my wife the easiest person in the world? If we asked him privately when you weren't listening, I have a feeling he'd have a list of things to say also, meaning we all have stuff. And you have to recognize that Hashem created your spouse as Hashem created them. And when you're able to embrace your spouse as they are, by the way, I guarantee if you actually embrace your spouse as they are and they get the support they need, it might well be they're more likely to change and work on the hygiene or work on the not falling asleep, whatever it is, because they love you and want to please you. So <clears throat> bottom line is, it's, um, can, I, can I say an honest piece over here? This one, Oshie, you'll have to let me say, I don't care if you want I do not smoke cigars. I don't smoke cigars. I used to smoke cigars. I used to love cigars. I used to love, love, love smoking cigars. It's been 23 years since I touched a cigar. Why? Because one time my wife did that nasty, underhanded thing. She said to me, please stop. Do it for me, please. Oh, sneaky, nasty. Had she said one, stop it now. It's bad for your health. The kid's going to... I'd be smoking till today. She pulled that sneaky, underhanded, please do it for me. Now, guys are going to get very upset with me because I let the women know the secret. The great secret is that if you ask your husband in a nice way, in the, uh, that's the great, don't, 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 guys, I, don't beat me up for letting the secret out. But that is the only way to get your spouse ever to do anything. And again, I don't smoke cigars today because of that, because my wife pulled that underhanded, sneaky, please do it for me. What can I tell you? We human beings are human beings, and we all are the same. We love approval. We hate disapproval. Criticism is destructive, is damaging. If you let your husband know that you respect him, you love him, he's great, likely he'll want to please you. And when he wants to please you, it's possible he might be able to do some real changes. Not much, but some. One thing I guarantee, the more you point the finger at him, the more you look down and the more he's going to be, ugh. He's going to dislike you. I hate to say it that way, but he's going to dislike you. He's going to have a tough time and he's going to be unmotivated to change. You're making it more difficult. So the more you embrace him, the more you accept him, the more you give him unconditional love and respect, the more likely he's going to want to please you. And the more likely it is that you can actually succeed. Okay, Yoshi, go hey, ahead. I'm we have another live question. Let's go. Last live question of the night and maybe one more question. Then we're going to wrap it up with a good rubbish for closing. Okay, you're on. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm watching this on my smartphone, and fortunately or unfortunately, smartphones have become a very much a big part of our lives. I'm wondering if you or Rabbi Shaber can address this issue of smartphones competing with a marriage and maybe set some ground rules as far as it goes. Um, so we talk about really dumb mistakes. Smartphones are really, what can I tell you? It, it competes for your time. It competes for your energy. People spend their lives in the palm of their hand. It's, it's a magefa. It is a magefa. I had a couple who were having trouble, a lot of trouble, and I finally convinced them to go out. I finally convinced them to go out. And after the date, I asked him how to go. He said, I said, what do you mean? 
He said, she was on the phone all night texting. I said, what do you mean? We made up no smartphones. We made up on the date, only one couple takes the phone, the one who has less trouble and only takes the text from the babysitter if it's imperative. She's, he said, yes, that's true. But she left her smartphone at home. She took a Blackberry. Now, I didn't know you could do this, but you could still apparently hook the Blackberry up and get your text and get your WhatsApp on it as well. And the whole time she was on the phone. Okay, so let me be clear. Rule number one, on the dates, no phones, no phones. You shut them off. You put them on stun, put them on stun. Don't, just don't do it. Again, if you have to be open for the babysitter, you leave that number unblocked and only the spouse who has less trouble is the one who has a phone on, but otherwise no phones on the date. So for sure, at least the date is no phones. We also have Shabbos Kodesh, 25 hours of no in the palm of your hand. After that, what can I tell you? My wife used to say it should be like Dodge City. You know, there's a rule in Dodge City. You had to leave your gun at the, at the front of the bar. You couldn't bring it into the bar itself. My wife used to say you should leave the phone in the glove box before you come into the house. What can I tell you? It's no longer the, the reality is everybody has a phone. Everyone's always on. And it's a, it's a magefa. You have to set up boundaries. Halavai, if you could set up boundaries. I asked one couple. I begged them and I finally succeeded. They made a rule. No technology after 9 p.m. 9 p.m. The phones are off, the computers are off, Wi-Fi is off. By the way, on my router at home, I used to have it shut off. It used to shut off at 6 p.m. when the kids were little, besides the filters and everything else. It shut off at 6 p.m. The kids got a little older, it shut off later, eventually got to 11 p.m. But there should be a shutoff time. You make a shutoff time. Again, Halavai, it should be 9 p.m., but you have to set up boundaries. Obviously, you have to do it together. It has to be you and your spouse together, reach an understanding how these things distract, they take away. But there's no question that smartphones become a magefa, they become addictive and they could destroy a marriage. So you have to set up boundaries. Amazing, let's squeeze in one more live question you're on. Hi Rabbi, I have a quick question for you. So in the beginning of my marriage, everything was okay until some time passed. And I realized that basically we're going through infertility and I started like kind of developing more of a distance from my husband. And I noticed other couples who have children and my friends, like um, they express that the children bring like a closer bond. So how do you create that bond knowing you don't have children and you don't know when you'll ever have it basically? Okay. So first of all, I, 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 I hear you prominent. I feel, I'm, I'm sorry that you're having this kind of difficulty. Um, I also want you to know something that children do not make a couple closer. Typically, children do the opposite. You know, everyone mm -hmm. says, well, have a, ch a child and it'll help the marriage. Typically, children cause much more distance and much more separation. If the marriage is solid and the marriage is healthy, despite the children, they could be healthy and keep a bond. But typically, children compete for romance, they compete for time, they compete for attention, and typically, they become the biggest distancer in the relationship. So. If you think that the, the reason why other couples are so close is because they have children, I don't think so. Now, again, going through a difficult situation as you're going through is an, a very serious issue. I highly recommend you reach out to A-Time. A-Time is a wonderful organization if you already you know, participate. And they have a lot of workshops, a lot of things, because dealing with life issues is difficult and it puts a strain on the marriage. But you should know it's never the issue that causes the couple's fights are never about the issues. It's about the underlying emotions. If your relationship is solid, if you're connecting, if you're bonded, then these issues just become my way, your way, we, we figure out a way. But if the distance between you guys begins decreasing, then anything becomes a problem. So my recommendation is 
work on the marriage. I, again, I recommend you go to Aid Time because as an organization, they deal with infertility. And I don't mean just medically, but I mean the support and the emotional piece and the everything that, that, that may be very important because you know, there's invariably there's gonna be guilt and there's gonna be sense of accusations, your fault, my fault, or, or just feeling in, you know, not able to, to, to provide children. So there's a lot of emotional baggage that's gonna come along. And I highly recommend an organization like A-Time because that professionals can help you deal with it. But more than anything, you have to work on your marriage. Work on your marriage means <clears throat> spend time together, bond, um, <clears throat> figure out what it is that you used to connect about, figure out what it is that used to bond you guys and spend time doing that again together. But you have to be very proactive. You have to be very active and really <clears throat> intentionally create the marriage that you want. Rabbi Shaver, let's have two more questions quickly and then we're gonna to go to closing, okay? Okay. This is for the woman over here, because I guess you're very pro-woman. So now we know everything the wife wants to hear. What about the husband? What did the husband want to hear? Woman want to know what could they do to make their husband their marriage better? Um, don't change your husband. That's it. Don't change your husband. Four words. Don't change your husband. Don't change your... That's it. I almost guarantee. You see, what a man needs at the core of his essence is different than what a woman needs. A woman needs to know that she's cherished, that she's loved. She needs that sense that she's number one in her husband's eyes. What a man needs is very different. A man needs respect. A man needs to know that his wife respects him. The minute you try to change your husband, you know what you're saying to him? You're not good enough. You don't make the grade. You need to get better. You need to improve. And what you're doing is you're pushing him down. You're smushing him. You think you're doing for his good. You think you're doing because you're nurturer. You think you're doing because you're helping him. You're smushing him down. You're putting him down and you're damaging the relationship. Don't change your husband. Four words. If you don't do that, Life changes so much. I can't tell you how many relationships improve dramatically, but I want to just say this. I guarantee I can say those words and you could want to, but there's this innate need. This I, got, I, I, I can't. By the way, I was once giving a Sean Bias session in a five part in, in Brooklyn, and we took questions after the sessions were over, and almost every question from the women came up something like this. Rabbi, what if I try to change him with a sense of humor? No, don't do it. It doesn't work. It damages. What if I try to change him with positive reinforcement? No, no, don't do it. Please don't do it. It damages the relationship. What if I try to do it with consequences? No, don't do it. Please don't do it. Okay, I thought I made my point. 20 minutes I spent on this. I got home. The very first email I get was from a woman that said like this. If I don't try to change him with a sense of humor, if I don't try to change him with positive reinforcement, if I don't try to change him with consequences, how am I going to change him? So I said to back to the, please, okay, one second, the last email, oh, she, you're not gonna believe it, but this is Bleak Guzman. The last email I get was read like this. Rabbi, maybe after all the time you spent on this, it's not that we don't get it, maybe we don't agree. So let me be very clear. If you have a maternal instinct, that's wonderful. And if you wanna help your children, that's wonderful. But if you're going to use your nurturing maternal instinct to improve your husband, I got news to you, you're damaging your marriage. You're not going to change him. He's not going to change and you're damaging your husband. Please don't do it. I beg you, try a, 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 a hiatus. Two weeks, don't do it and watch what happens. It becomes so much nicer, it becomes so much more amenable. All right, anyway, did I, did I make the point, Oshie? You made an excellent point. Okay, we have enough. I'm sorry, people just keep it not hopping around. They want to ask live. I'm sorry, Rabbi Shepard. You have a little bit more time for me? How many books? How many books? 
I don't know, but everybody's asking live. Email coachmanachem at gmail.com, your email address, and Rabbi Schaefer's going to send you a free book. Okay, you're on. I'm hearing more and more of couples getting divorced after being married for a really short time. Something has changed, or is it just more and more people being born and around these days? Okay, that's a very good question. In the beginning of the book, I give four reasons why this is. There are four reasons why divorces are happening much quicker now. Number one, it's a disposable generation. Everything's disposable. You disposable cups, disposable marriages, disposable everything. Number two, what's in it for me? We live in a generation that's extremely self-centered. Number three, um, unwholesome. Unfortunately, we live in a generation that's very unwholesome. You know, marriage is an institution, but it's not a hospital. If you're having emotional, if you have stuff going on, you have to deal with that. People have this attitude, listen, my anxiety and my OCD, I'll get married, it'll all go away. What happens is it doesn't go away. Generally, what happens is the problem gets worse because whatever emotional problem you have is exacerbated by having to have it function in a relationship. So dealing with your own stuff first is, is important. And what's number four? Number four, oh, number four is why you need this book. I Again, Oshie, I'm, I can't hold up the book, but I'm, we get the book. I'm telling you, 10 really dumb mistakes. Oshie, how do you get the book? Oh, you, that's your job. I'm not going to say. Okay. So first of all, I'm just going to, Rabbi Shaver, I'm just going to read the, the 10 things. I want to make sure we covered all of them. Can I, can I read them? Go for it. Okay. So we, we covered missing, uh, mistaking infatuation for love, thinking I could have done better, forgetting the love, that the glue of the marriage, forgetting that respect comes first, forgetting that a woman needs to be cherished, Trying to change your spouse. Did we discuss that tonight? Trying to change your spouse? Not I don't sure, remember. Not sure. I'm not sure. I don't think we try to remember. Oh, we didn't get to that one yet. Forgetting that that talk means something different to women. Judging your spouse based on your experience. That forgetting. Forgetting that. that I think we covered a little bit when we saw about the chinuch that I was raised this way, that was raised that way. Maybe. Forgetting that you are best friends. And did we discuss this criticizing your spouse? No, no, no. <laughs> okay, let's go to closing now. Um, again, now let's just repeat. What? Okay, so if anybody wants to order the book, you go to the schmooze.com. You could order it over there. Um, it's sold in bookstores. Somebody texted, they bought it in Tobias Amansi. Excellent book. Please buy the book. Buy it for, for your kids. Buy it for everybody. I'm not, I know Rabbi Shaver didn't write this book for, for it to make millions, but it's really, it's very, very, very helpful stuff. And, you know, as much as we think we know it all, we don't know it all. It's good to read it, read it and um, definitely buy it. Get it on the schmooze.com. What else comes with it? If you buy it on the schmooze.com, you get a free subscription to Life Magazine and unlimited Hamadia. I think if you buy it from the schmooze.com, you get the audio version. What other version you get? You get the audio book, the ebook, as well as the marriage transformation bootcamp as a bonus. So I don't want to compete with the stores, but again, you get the, if you, if you bought it at the store, send me an email. I'll gladly send you a link to it. But the audio book, which again is the book I read, the book I had a sound engineer, I did a professional job in it. The audio book, the ebook, as well as the marriage transformation bootcamp. So if you go to the schmooze.com, T H E S H M U Z.com, you got to remember it's spelled funny, like Heinz Ketchup, T H E. No, that's pre publication. There we go. T H E S H M U Z.com. You'll see a banner on top, click it. Then you'll get the book, you'll get the audio book, the ebook, as well as the marriage transformation bootcamp. Go for it, Oshie. Okay. I think it's amazing and uh, definitely everybody should get it. It's Mardik. And uh, okay, let's go to closing. Again, for coming back again and being Mechazik. Tonight's year was through the roof. It was amazing. We, I think, Shafer, obviously, you understand marriage is a very uh, tough topic and it's, everybody has to deal with it. And, uh, you know, it's taken a So it's a big parsha. And I think we, 
I think we uh, covered a lot, and I think we have a lot of people. There was a tremendous audience here tonight. And tonight's share is learned. We're learning the Zech Nishmas, Rabbi father, is Yartzeg tonight. It was Zev Shlomo, Rabbi Yosef, the Shlomo Shlomo, Rabbi tonight's Haile Gashir. And again, if anybody wants to join every Sunday, uh, I send out on Sunday morning the WhatsApp, uh, the flyer. That's how the share grows by people posting it to their family chats, putting it on their statuses. Please WhatsApp me at 848 525-0066, and then say my number, and every Sunday I'll send it to you. Please send it around. Again, if anybody was here tonight for the first time, um, we do it every Sunday night at 9.30. Tonight's share was share 82, so uh, please join us. And next Sunday, we're going to have an amazing bomb share, Rabbi, Rabbi Schaefer, uh, next level. We're going to have Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, Rabbi Shimon Russell, live from Registral. He's talking about why so many teenagers are struggling in today's generation. Not only that, what we could actually do to help them. It's going to be a very powerful, meaningful program. Everybody could, could learn from this. Anybody who has kids and anybody who wants to have kids, this is next level stuff. Please, please join. I'm, I'm very involved with something with, uh, with this organization that's behind this. It's, it's unbelievable stuff. So please join. Um, try to be on early. Um, what else did I want to say? Uh, Rabbi Schaefer, a few people are texting. Do you have an email address so they can contact you? People want to ask, send you some, some questions. Rebbe, R-E-B-B-E at theshmooze.com. So it's R-E-B-B-E at theshmooze.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com, Rebbe at theshmooze.com. Okay, everything is recorded. I'll be at on tomorrow on Menachem's Berenfeld site, Menachemberenfeld.com. Can I leave with one last thought, Oshi? One final last thought? Close, we're going to do closing, we're going to do closing. Ready? Okay, I'm ready to close. Okay, Menachemberenfeld.com. If you have any questions, email coachmenachem at gmail.com. Tonight's share is shared 82. And it's all going to be recorded. We have a phone line that's going to be uploaded to tomorrow. Much for people that want to listen on the phone. It's 848-777-GROW, 848-777-GROW. Again, I want to thank all the advertising sponsors, Lakewood Scoop, Rabbi Yanifu Chazak, Chayla Kaplan, Shmuzam, and JCN. Uh, special thank you to OK Clarity. They're, we collaborate with them, okclarity.com. You can find the best therapists, coaches, nutritionists, engage in forums, and stay inspired. Links will be emailed after the show. I'm going to go to closing words now from Coach Menachem. Before we go to Coach Menachem, I just want to say, Rabbi Schaefer, Meiridik, without criticizing. Okay, <laughs> Rabbi. What should I change? What, no, no, what did you change? <laughs> should write, you should write more books. Okay, Coach Menachem, go. So I want, to, I want to thank you, Rabbi Schaefer, for being here tonight. And I do see from the emails and the chats. Um, so first of all, I want to mention that Rabbi Schaefer has a whole series on tefillah. So that's also very important, which you mentioned before. Um, obviously, we need a lot of tefillah. And when people uh, hear you have to accept, 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 which is, wow, wait a second, how is this going to work? Number one should be tefillah. And I do, I want to mention also, you mentioned uh, looking in the mirror. I got some, uh, some, some finally are saying, okay, so I can't change him. What can I do? And the truth is, that's a very good approach. It's like turning it around and maybe not being so harsh in that mirror, but the question is always, what could I do? And if there's something going on and your spouse is not, for whatever reason, not on the same page, you go get, get, get yourself help. It can be talking to a therapist or whatever to help you in the situation, even though it's not changing the spouse, but it's what can I do, which is a, uh, uh, hopefully what we get from tonight is if I can't change the other, what can I do? So thank you very much for being here and feel uh, for those who need it, that Amit Hashem should open the eyes and our hearts that we should be able to learn how to accept, which is 
could be a, a lifetime work. Shkoyach. Okay, please leave us with Divrei Chizuk. Give us a, a tremendous closing, please. For okay. all the hundreds of people that are here. First of all, Oshi, and thank you very much. And Coach Menachem, thank you. I, I greatly value the opportunity to be here. I'd like to share with you the most romantic words I ever heard in my life. My Rebbe, the Rosh Hashiva was older than the Rebbe and everyone expected that the Rosh Hashiva would pass away first, but that's not what happened. And the Rebbe took ill and very shortly thereafter passed away. And the Rosh got up to say a hespid, to say a eulogy at the Rebbe for his for his wife. And first he began by saying that everything we did, we did together. We built the yeshiva together. We built the talmidim together. We went to our stroll together. Everything we did, we did together. I didn't have to worry about my health. I didn't have to worry about my food. Everything we did, we did together. He must have said that 12, maybe 14 times. Everything we did, we did together. And then he said, I said a husband for my father. I said a husband for my mother. I cannot say a husband for my wife. If I say a husband for my wife, it's like I'm saying a husband for myself. I can't do it. And he sat down. And with those words, I think he defined the perfect marriage. One unit, bonded, connected, together, one unit. It takes an awful lot of work to get there. And it takes an awful lot of learning and changing. But you daven, you mispalo, and you work on things. And eventually Hashem helps. And maybe not right away. There are going to be ups and downs, but you work on it, you work on it. Eventually Hashem helps. And that's the ultimate goal. One unit connected together in this world and the world to come, bonded forever. I'll see everybody next week. Sunday, 9.30, Rabbi Wyatt with Jacobson, or Shimon Ross, Maritz Yisrael. Good night. Shkoyach. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly, monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. And it will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance.